I was kind of hoping there was some pizza in there for me to eat. I know, I know, a dad joke. What have I got to say? A dad and a pastor. You know, two bad reasons to tell bad jokes, right? Okay, my name is Alan Pittman. If I have not had a chance to meet you, we are absolutely thrilled you're worshiping with us today on this nice, warm day outside. Uh, We're glad that you've gathered here for worship. Whether you're here in the room or whether you're worshiping online, if you're worshiping online, I know some of you, because of weather and illness and things like that, you're there. Uh, But if you have not had a chance to come worship with us in person, we'd love for you to come and worship in the near future as we gather every Sunday morning. We are finishing up, not today, but next week, we are finishing up a series we've been on a day or two, and that is in the book of Acts, okay? And so we're wrapping up Acts, we're finishing up now, um, and I want to just kind of bring you up to speed with where we have been. First, before I say that, if you came in, I always say it that way, when you came in this morning, you may have picked up a worship guide, and if you picked up a worship guide, there'll be a place where you can take notes on the back and some of the points for the message and uh, the text we'll be using, and then what verses I'll be preaching next Sunday if you want to read ahead of time. Uh, but we've been on a journey for a while now with the Apostle Paul, and, and his journey has taken him around the world, as you'll see the title of this series, to the ends of the earth. He's gone in order to take the good news of Jesus Christ. And, and so, kind of moving backwards from uh, the beginning of his story in the book of Acts, we saw in Jerusalem that he was at first persecuting Christians. And then we saw as he was headed to Damascus, he was converted to Christ, meaning he came to faith in Jesus Christ. And now he's not persecuting Christians, but rather he's seeking to grow in his faith and build up the church. Then we move with him to a city by the name of Antioch in Syria, where he is discipling Christians and helping Barnabas as they're establishing a church uh, through the work of the Holy Spirit in the city of Antioch. And then after that, we find out he goes on three missionary journeys, and those missionary journeys take him through modern-day um, modern Greece and modern-day Turkey. And he travels and helps plant churches and disciple followers of Jesus there. And then when we get to, I believe it's chapter 21, we see that he returns to Jerusalem. And when he gets to Jerusalem, he gets arrested. We're going to talk more about that this morning. He gets arrested in Jerusalem, and then he is put into the hands of the Roman officials, And then he ends up in a town by the name of Caesarea, and he's there for two years in jail. And then he appeals his case to Caesar, and then he gets on a boat as a prisoner, and they sail towards Rome. And then on the trip to Rome, they end up shipwrecked on the island of Malta. So if you've not been with us, that's kind of a quick synopsis, leaving out tons of details of Paul's life. And I encourage you to go back and read the book of Acts. You can go back and listen to archived sermons if you'd like to. But that kind of brings us up to where we are in the story today. And his journey is now going to today finally take him to the city of Rome, which we've been waiting for since uh, Acts chapter 23 or so, when God said, Paul, you will preach the gospel in Rome. And so we're going to go on a journey with him to the city of Rome this morning. Uh, Just so you know, uh, when he gets to Rome, this is, they know that's not the end of the earth, but it feels like the ends of the earth, where the gospel has literally then traveled everywhere of the then known world. And we anticipate, based on kind of his historical facts, just to give you a time frame, more than likely the story we're about to read this morning took place in early spring of the year 60. 
all right? So Jesus was crucified somewhere in the year of 30 or 33. So this is about three decades after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. It's in probably the year 60, and we pick up the story as he heads to Rome. If you've got a Bible with you, I encourage you to turn to Acts chapter 28. It's the last chapter of the book. We're going to be reading sections at a time. We're going to start in verse 11 and go through verse 16. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be a Bible in a chair near you, underneath you, in front of you, that kind of thing. Use that Bible. It's a hardbound black copy of the Scripture. And if you don't have a Bible at home or you know somebody that needs one, feel free to take that with you. That'll be a gift from us to you. Acts chapter 28. Beginning in verse 11, they are in Malta. They are now leaving the island of Malta after being there for three months. That's what it says here in verse 11. After three months, we, talking about Paul, Luke, and the other 276 other people that are on this trip, we set sail in a a ship that had wintered in the island, the island of Malta, a ship of Alexandria, which is in Egypt. So the ship came from there. It had on it twin gods as a figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, not New York, Syracuse, uh, Sicily, we stayed there for three days. And from there, we made a circuit and arrived at Rigium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up, which is a good thing because they're heading north and the south wind is going to help them. And on the second day we, day, we came to Puteoli. There we found brothers, meaning other followers of Jesus Christ, and we were invited to stay with them for seven days, and so we came to Rome. They're quite not to Rome yet, but they're almost there. They're on the cusp of it. It says when they got where they are now, not quite Rome yet, the brothers, meaning fathers of Jesus, there from Rome, when they heard about us, came as far as the forum of Apius or Appius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage, and when we came into Rome, they are finally in Rome. Paul was allowed to stay by himself in jail, in prison, with the soldier who guarded him, basically on house arrest. I I want us to look at verses 11 through 16 a little bit closer. As I said, Paul and his other people that are on the ship are leaving from the island of Malta, headed towards Rome. And it's interesting because it says that on the front of the ship is an emblem or or a a carving or an engraving or however you may want to look at it, there's an image of what is referred to as the twin gods on it. I'm not going to go into all kinds of details, but basically it's the idea that these two twin gods are theoretically the sons or children of of Zeus, and I say theoretically because the Greek gods are not real, but anyway, the sons of Zeus, and they are seen as protectors, guides, and navigators for the voyage. And so they are happy that these, not Paul, but the others are happy that there are these gods that are leading the way. But if you've been with us in this story, we know that it's not some kind of fake God that's been leading the way, providing safe passage, but rather it is God, the one true God, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham and Jacob and Isaac. Jesus himself that has been leading the way in his providence and the only way that Paul is making it to Rome is not because of fake gods but because of the one true God. And so God is guiding them, not this thing that they think are, uh, is, but God himself is. We know that, that with God we should trust his providence and his sovereignty instead of anything else. Now, I want us to look at a map. This map's going to be kind of small. You're not going to be able to see all the words on it, but hopefully you'll see the images. You'll recognize Italy because it looks like a boot, and then Sicily, which is the island right there that's like at the toe of the boot, 
and then down here is Malta. And this arrow is coming from here because that's where they drifted to Malta, ended up on a shipwreck. You'll see either a red or black line, depending on where you're sitting. It may look a different color. But you'll see the path that they roughly took this way and then up the coast and then onto the, uh, uh, onto the mainland of Italy and then up to Rome. There's Rome. Uh, down here is Syracuse. Right here is Regium, or however you want to say it. Puteoli is right here. And then there's three taverns right there and uh, the Forum of Apius right there, or Apian Way. All right, so that is the route that they took, roughly speaking, about 600 miles from start to finish. It would be about a 600, 650-mile trip, and we see that in the account it took them about three weeks to get there. When they get up to Puteoli, which was uh, there kind of close to Rome, that's when they got on the land and they walked the rest of the way, which would have been about five day into the city, five day walk into the city of Rome. We see in these verses that God allowed Paul to stay with some brothers, some followers of Jesus Christ for seven days in Puteoli. And that brings great encouragement and, and, and happiness to Paul in his life. We see that in verse 14. Verse 14 tells us that, they, um, that, that he stays with the brothers there. And then after they stay in Puteoli, they get on a, a road or a path that's called Appian Way. And basically, it was a super highway, if you will, back in the day. Uh, you know, the whole idea of all roads lead to Rome. Well, this is a Roman road that would take them from point A to point B on into the city. And so uh, you, I want to say Appian Way because whenever you read the two places that they meet up with some other brothers uh, of, uh, of the faith. One is called the Forum of Apius, or Appius, because that's on the way, and then three taverns. These are two marketplace-type places. And basically, it's about 40 miles south of Rome. And what I want you to see is this. The brothers and sisters in Rome had heard from Paul about three years earlier when he wrote the letter to the Romans. They were anticipating him coming sometime. And when they get word that he's coming, they are super excited about it. They don't just sit and wait. Oh my goodness, I can't wait till he gets here. And they sit in Rome and wait on him. No, some of them go as like his escort uh, service, if you will, in a good way. And they escort him into the city uh, to, to see the other brothers of the faith, right? So they're excited to find him. They follow down and they see him and they go with him. And we see in verse 15 how that impacts Paul in his life. It says, on seeing them, Paul stopped right then. He thanked God and he took courage. On your notes there, it says this. God uses believers, other believers, to encourage us. I don't want us to lose this. This is not the main point of this text, but it's an important aspect of this text. On two occasions, Paul spends time with other believers, and it is invigorating for him. He is encouraged by that. He is built up by that. And the reality is that in our lives, God does the same thing. God uses other believers to strengthen and encourage us and us, them. Whenever Paul saw them, he saw it as a sign of God's grace and God's providence. You know, you and I, in our daily lives, God wants to use other believers in our lives to encourage us in our walk of following Jesus more closely. As I think about the ways that other believers encourage us, things come to mind. Like, whenever we spend time with other, other believers, we find great joy. We find companionship. We're not by ourselves. We're not isolated. We find encouragement. With other believers, we find accountability where we're holding each other to really follow Jesus like we say we want to. 
With other believers in our lives, we are taught God's truth and the gospel. We find help when we need help. Whenever we have struggles and problems and issues, whenever we're sick and we need someone to bring us food and and provide for us. Guys, our church as a whole does such a great job of encouraging each other. But the question is, am I willing to receive the encouragement from other believers? Am I open to let them come in and serve me and encourage me? Am I actively finding ways to serve other believers? Because the reality is this, while the truth is that God uses other believers to encourage us, we could reword this and say God wants to use you to encourage other believers. This isn't just a receiving, this is also a giving. Now don't get me wrong, there could be seasons of life where we are so depleted because of things going on in our lives that we don't have much to give as far as encouragement to other believers, but instead we need to receive quite heavily. And the reality is this, even when you think you're only receiving, if you're living by the power of the Holy Spirit, even in your receiving, you're encouraging other believers because you're receiving the help they give. Does that all make sense? Guys, let's not miss the point that Paul experiences here. You and I are intended not just to receive encouragement, but to give it out as well. And the reality is this, in order for us to be participants in this encouragement process by receiving help, giving help, by teaching and receiving teaching, by being accountable and holding someone accountable, by by encouraging and loving one another, by supporting each other, by providing meals for each other, giving rides to each other, doing things that would be a blessing to each other to encourage each other, we must actively participate in this encouragement whenever you think about what hebrews the book of hebrews says that we're not to forsake the gathering of the saints and the assembling of the brothers and i realize there are times where we just have no other option because maybe the weather doesn't allow us to maybe we're sick maybe we're out of town but the reality is this god is calling us to actively participate in the local body of jesus christ and if you're a part of living hope then by all means actively participate in it if you're visiting here and you're actually a part of another church and another church is your church home actively participate in the encouraging process because god wants to use you and he wants you to be a blessing and he wants you to be blessed by others that's why he calls us to be a part of the body of christ i guarantee it and you're like uh, you don't have to tell me this twice i already know it i guarantee it that if you stayed home at church, uh, today instead of coming to this building and you listen to another preacher, you're probably going to find better preaching pretty easily whenever you watch another sermon online. But the reality is, listening to a good sermon does not equate being a part of the local body of Christ. Don't get me wrong, like I've got some preachers queued up on mine, and, and if, uh, uh, Ron Rich and I were talking this morning about, he, he's a uh, pastor uh, and has retired from being a pastor, but hasn't retired from ministry, and he and I were talking about how hard it is as pastors to listen to someone else preach, because we're always talking, and you're like, Alan, you definitely are always talking. And the reality is, I understand that I need to be encouraged by preaching and challenged by preaching, and therefore, I have some preachers queued up that I can listen to their sermons, but they're not my pastor. And I don't say that because I don't want them to be my pastor. It's just reality they aren't. Why do we have elders at our church? Because I need some pastors in my life. Guys, we need the church body. We need each other. All right, maybe I preached too long on that little note. Not because it's not important, but because I have other things I need to cover as well. Let's hit a few questions. Here they are. They're not on the screen. You may want to write them down. Are you currently experiencing the kind of mutual encouragement that I just described? 
Are you actively experiencing currently this kind of mutual encouragement where you're encouraging others and you're receiving encouragement from others yourself? And if you're not, are you open to it? What I mean by that is someone could try to encourage you, but if you're not openly receiving it, it's quite hard to encourage you. We need to be receptive to being encouraged. If we're not open to it, what might have us closed off? What obstacles might be in your way? It could be your pride. I don't need help. It could be I'm busy. I, can't, I don't have time for that. I, I, I barely have time to keep my head above water. Some of us may not even see the need. I've got this. I don't need to be encouraged by anybody. I can pull up myself up by my own bootstraps. Some of you may be intimidated by this encouragement. Like, I don't even know how this goes. I don't know how to do this. And what if they say something I don't like? What if they try to hold me accountable and I don't like that? What if I see sin in their life? Should I speak into it or should I not? could be sin in our life. It could be I don't even know where I start. But what are the obstacles and what might God do to remove those? Here's some possible next steps for you towards this encouragement. Some of you need to join a local church. Like you've been attending for a long time. You maybe even went to the membership class, but you haven't taken the step of actually joining the church. God is calling us to invest in a local body of Christ. Some of you need to join the church. Others of you, you've been attending a while, you haven't taken the class yet, but you'd like to. And we're having a membership class. I think the date's going to be February 18th. Don't hold it to me yet, but I believe it's going to be February 18th. You want to sign up and be a part of the new member class. Another way you can experience encouragement is jump in a hope group. We have hope groups that meet on various nights of the week. We have a couple that meet on Sunday mornings after the service here in the building. The rest meet in homes. Stop by and ask me about a hope group. Jump online, see a hope group that you could join be a part of a hope group. Jump in a D group. Be a part of an equipping class. Uh, Ricky did a good job of kind of telling us about some equipping classes that are being offered. Why do we have them? So you can be taught and encouraged along the way. You might need to find a place to serve. Lots of ways to be a part of the local body of Christ. Go to the hope, which is on our website at lhbc.net, and you'll be able to sign up for any and all of those. Let's keep going in God's Word. Chapter 28 of Acts, verse 17 through 22. After three days... Paul called together the local leaders of the Jews, and when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel. There's that theme of the hope. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain or in prison. And they said to him, we have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are with regard to this sect, meaning Christianity. We know that everywhere it is spoken against. Let's stop and look at this for just a second. Paul had a rhythm. Anytime he entered a new city, he always went to the Jewish people. He would look for a Jewish gathering of people. Typically, it would be the synagogue because he knew he'd find them there. In some cities, there weren't, wasn't a synagogue, so he'd find some Jewish leaders somewhere else. And in this occasion, he wants to do the same thing in Rome. There's one small problem. He's under arrest, so he can't go to them. So this time, he meets with them by inviting them to come with him. So he, he's doing ministry like he always does. And here's why he wanted to meet with these uh, Jewish leaders. He wanted to explain why it is that he's in Rome. He wanted to, to defend himself, to kind of explain, hey, I'm not against uh, our uh, religious customs. 
And then, most importantly, he wanted to preach the gospel. If you know anything about Paul, he looked for an opportunity to preach all of the time. As always, though, his, like I said, his biggest reason was to preach the gospel because he wanted to see his own people come to faith in Jesus. I want you to see his starting point. In verse 17, he uses the word brothers. He references our people. He says our fathers. In other words, he's identifying with them. They have a common background. The Old Testament is the foundation for their faith, right? And so he's starting from this point to say, guys, I'm with you. I'm one of you. Hear me out on what I'm about to share with you. In other words, this is not some crazy sect, some crazy cult. This is a completeness of what we have always believed about who God is. He's saying he's faithful to, um, to them all the way leading to the Messiah. Now, he doesn't go into details here, uh, or at least it's not recorded this way, but he's referencing all the way back to Acts chapter 21. If you were to turn back to Acts 21, do it later, not now, but if you were to turn to Acts 21, you're going to see that that's the chapter where Paul gets arrested in Jerusalem. The Jews have him arrested, and then the Roman officials take uh, control of, of, Rome, of Rome, sorry, of Paul, and he's in their custody, if you will. They examine him, they, desert, they, they determine, the Romans do, that he doesn't deserve the death penalty, but the Jews vehemently opposed that and wanted Paul to be punished and killed. And because of that, we see earlier in Acts that Paul appeals his case to Caesar. And so he's explaining all that here in Acts chapter 28. He's just reminding us and telling them for the first time what has brought them to this day. So um, it's interesting here. Look down at verse 21. It's interesting because the reputation of Paul had not fully made it there in the sense that for some reason the, 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 the accusations against Paul had not really made it there. Verse 21, they're saying, hey, we don't have any letters here. Like, we don't know anything about you. We haven't heard anything negative about you. We have heard about this Christianity thing. We think it's crazy, but we'd like to hear more about it. And they invite him actually to speak to them. I want us to see, though, before we get to the next little part, look at verse 20. I kind of paused for a minute when I read verse 20. It says that Jesus is the hope of Israel. But Paul says, I'm under arrest because of the hope of Israel. It's a phrase that he's repeated multiple times, a handful of times throughout the book of Acts, beginning back in verse 23. And this hope that he's referencing is Jesus, which brings us to the next point, which says that Jesus is the hope of the world. Jesus is the hope of the world. Now let's talk for just a minute about what the word hope means. Hope is confident expectation. Confident expectation. It's not some kind of wishful thinking. Like right now I can say I hope my Cowboys win today and that may or may not be confident, that may or may not be wishful thinking. It's football. It really doesn't matter, right? But when it comes to Jesus Christ and we say he is the hope of Israel, it's a confident expectation. If you've been with us over the last five or six weeks, we've been going through a, a set of sermons beginning in Genesis all the way to Revelation called the coming king. And it was the idea that all along the people of Israel knew that a Messiah was coming and they were confident that he was coming. They were confidently expecting his arrival. And therefore, when they said there was a hope of Israel, it wasn't just like, fingers crossed, we hope he shows up. Oh my goodness, what if he doesn't? It's he is going to show up. When is he going to show up? And the reality is this. Paul says the Messiah has come. 
You're trying to still wait on the Messiah. I'm saying the Messiah has come. His name is Jesus. And you can place your faith and your hope and your trust in him because he is the hope of Israel. You're like, wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. You said he's the hope of the world. The phrase says hope of Israel. Why the difference, Alan? Well, the hope of Israel, it simply means that the people of Israel have been set aside to follow God and the people of Israel have been set aside to uh, allow the Messiah to come through their lineage. But Jesus, the Messiah, was not just the hope of Israel. He was hope of the world. It's just that the, re- the Israelites realized it and then they were to take the good news to the Gentiles. And so the truth of the matter is this. Paul was under arrest because he had found his hope in Jesus and the Jewish leaders didn't like it. And the reality is that today Jesus is just as much the hope of the world as he ever has been. He, is God in the, he, was, he came as God in the flesh to bring salvation and the hope of being united back to God through Jesus' finished work on the cross. He's the only hope, Jesus is, of salvation for all people, both Jews and Gentiles. All of us put hope in something or someone. For some of us, maybe it was a hope in a new year. Oh my goodness, I need a fresh start. And with a fresh start, with the next phase of life or the next stage of life, everything's going to go well. Uh, this new starting point that I can have, that's, that's where my hope is found. Others may say, no, 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 my hope is found in, in people. I, I find hope because of my spouse or because of my parents or my kids. I find hope because of friends that are in my life or coworkers or teammates or maybe heroes that I have in my life. Others of us, no, 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 it's not people, it's money. Like I put my hope in my bank account. I put my hope in my retirement account. I put my hope in my possession. Some of you are like going, that's why I don't have hope because these things are, are bankrupt, right? And the reality is they are, they are. Others of us may say, um, I, I put my hope in my talents, my skills, my abilities. It could be my success, a promotion, or notoriety, or fame, or friendships. It could be politics, a politician. I may be stepping on toes here. It could be a political party. It could be policies, and that's where my hope is found. It could be I find my hope in power. That's why I want my military strong, because that's where my hope is found, or my physical strength. Guys, we may not use our words to say, my hope is found in X, Y, Z, but the reality is the inner part of us may be finding our hope somewhere else besides God. My question is, where is your hope found? I'm not saying that all of these things are bad things. I'm just saying every single one of those things, if that's where your hope is found, they will let you down. But with Jesus, he will never let you down. With everything else, we're absolutely hopeless without Jesus. Jesus is the true hope giver. I think I just asked the question, but it's on my notes, I'm going to ask it again, all right? It's not going to be on the screen. You may want to write it down. Here's the question. Where is your hope found? And can I ask you to be honest right here? Don't give me the Sunday school answer. Jesus. Like that's where it needs to be. But I'm saying in your life, where is your hope found? Is your hope found in Jesus currently? Or is it in something or someone else? And then what corrective steps do you need to take? if your hope is misplaced.
I want to read two more verses. Look at verses 23 and 24. So the Jewish leaders wanted to hear from Paul. Verse 23 says, When they had appointed a day for Paul, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. And then from morning until evening, Paul expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. We see in these verses that Paul gathered these men together so that he could share the gospel with them. As I said a moment ago, he did so by starting with uh, a common point uh, uh, where they could relate to each other. In this verse, it says that he started with the law and the prophets, and he built on that existing background that they had with one another. And then he says, guys, the law and the prophets point always to Jesus. Jesus is not some extra or something different from the Old Testament. Jesus is the purpose of the Old Testament. Jesus is fulfilling the Old Testament. Jesus is fulfilling all of the Scripture. The entire Bible, front to back, start to finish, is entirely a single message of God's redemption that's available through Jesus Christ. The entire Bible is about one hero, and his name is Jesus. One Savior, and his name is Jesus. It says that Paul spent the entire day explaining and testifying about Jesus and, it says, the kingdom of God. Look at verse 23. It says, from morning till evening, he expounded to them on what? The kingdom of God while trying to convince them about who Jesus is. And so the next point that's on your sermon note says this, we are to tell others all about King Jesus. We are to tell others all about King Jesus. So like Paul, I'm going to encourage all of us to look for opportunities where we can expound upon, where we can testify about Jesus and tell others about his kingdom. One interesting side note real quick it says that he spent time telling them about the kingdom of God. If you were to flash back to Acts chapter 1, verse 3, and you were to read about Jesus and the time that he spent with his disciples in the 40 days after he was resurrected, before he ascended into heaven, we see in Acts 1, 3 that Jesus spent time telling them about the kingdom of God. Here we are again with the kingdom of God. So we're to tell all others all about King Jesus. What is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is the rule of the sovereign God over everything and everyone. You see, Jesus, the Messiah, was the long-anticipated ruler. As great as King David was, he was so much more than King David. Jesus, the coming king who had arrived when Paul is preaching this, came in order that he might bring salvation to his people. I want to share with you briefly about King Jesus. I'm not going to do what Paul did where he expounded day and night. You may feel like I've already done that, but here's what I want you to know about King Jesus. The Bible's very clear. God created all of us, and he created us with an express purpose that we might glorify him and that we might be in right standing with him because if I'm not in right standing with him, I can't glorify him. And God's standard or expectation is perfection, no sin. 
like no disobedience to him. Why is that? Because when I sin against God, then I'm basically telling him he's not king, I am king. I'm in charge. Like I'm the one that calls the shots in my life. God doesn't. And so if I don't obey his word, then I choose to do things based on what I think is good for me. If you go back to Genesis and you look at Adam and Eve, the reason they chose to sin against God and take the fruit that was forbidden is because the fruit looked good to them. It seemed good to them. It probably was going to taste good to them. And they're like, my golly, I don't really care what God has to say on the subject. If it's good for me, if it feels good, I'm going to do it. It's the same thing that you and I have today. We choose whether we're going to follow God or whether we're going to follow ourselves. We decide who is the king of our lives. Is it God or is it ourselves? The reality is that God is king over all. And whenever I reject his kingship, then I reject him. And therefore, I'm sinning against him. I'm his enemy. And I can have nothing to do with him because he is a holy, perfect God and can have nothing to do with sin. But the amazing good news is this, that God loved the world so much that he sent his only son, Jesus, that anyone who would believe in him and trust in him could have forgiveness of their sins and be restored to right relationship with God. You see, you and I are called to live a perfect life and we can't do it. And the Bible says that because of our lack of perfection, because of our sin against God, that we deserve death, which is physical death and complete total Um, uh, separation from a holy perfect God but Jesus came and lived a life that you and I cannot live fulfilled the Old Testament fulfilled the law did not sin and yet he willingly laid down his life on the cross and died for our sins so scripture says that if I believe that he is the way of salvation that if I trust in him and have faith in him, if I repent of my sins and turn from my way of doing things, acknowledge him as king of all and acknowledge his rightful uh, place in my life, if I would trust in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection three days later, that I can experience wholeness, healing, and salvation and forgiveness of sin. That is what it means to see Jesus as king are you still king of your life? If so, I've got really bad news for you. You're not in right standing with God. Eternity is coming, and that eternity means an eternity in a horrible place called hell. You'll be separated from God for all eternity, but the good news is if you'll place your faith and your trust in King Jesus, then he becomes king of your life, and your sins are forgiven, and you can walk in that truth. You see, Jesus is the hope of the world, and the way that he is the hope of the world is if we place our faith and our trust in him, allowing him to be king, which he already is, that he would become king in our lives. If you've trusted in Jesus as your Savior, then you and I have a mission, a task. We have a hope of Jesus, but we also have a mission of Jesus, and that mission is to go out and tell others about the kingdom of God and about Jesus. In order for us to do that, though, we have to have the Holy Spirit's help. My question is, are you doing what Paul did, and that is, are you, by the work of the Holy Spirit, sharing the hope of Jesus with those around you? All we're called to do is to faithfully preach the gospel With Paul, we see some believed and some didn't. In our lives, we're going to see some believe and some don't. But we're called to preach the gospel, to tell others about King Jesus. So i got a couple of questions as it relates to King Jesus to ask you. First of all is this. Is Jesus the king of your life? 
Have you trusted in Him as your Savior? And if not, would today be the day of salvation? If you have trusted Him as your Savior, are you actively telling others about Him? And who is it specifically that He may be calling you to tell this week? Some of us may say, Alan, that's good and all, but I'm going to kind of wait and decide later. But the reality is this. It's impossible to remain neutral to the gospel. When you hear the gospel, you must take a stand one way or the other. Am I going to say yes to the gospel and trust in Jesus, or am I going to say no to the gospel and walk away from him? There is no middle ground. I want to finish by reading three verses. 25 through 27 says this. It says that the Jewish leaders disagreed among themselves. They departed after Paul said something. Here's what Paul said. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet. And then he quotes Isaiah chapter 6 verses 9 and 10. Here's what Isaiah says and here's what Paul said. Go to this people, and these would be the words of God as he spoke them to Isaiah. Go to this people and say, you will indeed hear but never understand. You will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Look at verse 25. Paul says the Holy Spirit's right when he said to your fathers. Earlier he had identified with these people and said our fathers, and now he says your fathers. Why is that? Because Paul is saying, you're not believing in Jesus, and you're and your fathers didn't believe in God. And therefore, this is where I'm disconnecting from you. I love you and I want you to come to faith. But the reality is the words I'm about to share with you apply to you. But I have come to faith in Jesus and therefore they don't apply to me any longer. Did you know that these words that I just read that come from Isaiah chapter 6 verses 9 and 10 come after some of the most famous verses in all of the Bible? You may not know it's found there, but you've probably heard it before. Isaiah chapter 6 verses 1 through 8. There's a vision the prophet Isaiah is seeing of God and his holy temple. And God is wanting to send someone to go preach the gospel, to preach the good news. And if you've ever watched Shrek, if you don't like Shrek, please forgive me that I've watched it. But I think of Shrek every time I read this text. You're like, why is that? Because there's a scene where donkeys in the back going, pick me, pick me, pick me. All right, that's what Isaiah does. Like Isaiah's going, God, if you've got to send somebody, pick me. I'll willingly go. And we're like, oh my goodness. And then, and then do you remember it? Like the, the, the angels get this, this coal and they take it, put it on Isaiah. Isaiah's mouth and I mean Isaiah's saying he's a sinful person he can't be pure and he can't do this and God's saying you can and then we forget verses 9 and 10 are there it's a wonderful moment Isaiah's chosen he's going to go preach the gospel and then God says all right Isaiah you're faithful you're going to do it now let me tell you the rest of the story verses 9 and 10 you're going to go preach nobody's going to listen to you like that's not encouraging but it's the truth he's saying they're going to miss it they're going to miss what you're preaching they're going to have their eyes closed their ears closed they're not going to see what's happening and then paul uses those words he says hey guys you're jewish leaders you've claimed that you've understood that the messiah is coming and you've missed him you've had your eyes closed you've had your ears closed you've had your heart hardened and you're not following god guys i'm going to tell you this they were shocked when they heard that because they were some of the most religious people and they thought they were following God faithfully, but they were blind and missing what God was doing. You're like, okay, well, how does that apply to me? I'm not a, a Jew. I'm not following the Old Testament. Here's the deal. Some of us in this room, we are religious. We're doing the things. 
We go to church all the time. We may even tithe to the church. We may pray. We may even lead something. We may even talk about Jesus occasionally. But the reality is this. For some of us in this room, you've never had a true salvation experience where you've placed your faith and your trust in Jesus because you are involved in, like, um, oh my goodness, I can't think of the word right now. The religion you have is just like kind of by title only. I can't think of the word. Uh, It's not genuinely impacting your life. So don't go, oh my goodness, how do these religious leaders miss Jesus? But think, Am I missing Jesus myself? I encourage you to allow the Holy Spirit to open your heart so that you can see, hear, and follow Jesus. You're like, what does my heart have to do with it? Well, the heart for the people back then had to do more with just your your blood pumping through or, oh my goodness, I love somebody with all my heart. The heart carried with it your thinking, your willing, like your will, and deciding he's saying your hearts all of you all of who you are should be hearing and receiving what god is doing and trusting in him so i've got a last point which is not a point it's actually a question that did make the screen and did make your outline and that is are your eyes ears and heart open to the hope found only in christ some of us this morning so that we're not guilty of being like the people that Paul and Isaiah both mentioned, some of us this morning need to repent of sin. We need to turn to God for salvation. That word at the end of uh, verse 26 that says, um, says God's words, if they'll open their eyes and hear and all of those things and understand with their heart and turn, I would heal them. This healing has to do with salvation. Some of us need to repent of sin and turn to God for salvation. Others of us need to realize we need to keep looking to him and follow him with our very lives. My question is, how is the Holy Spirit leading you this morning to respond to his word? Yes, Jesus is the hope of the world. But have we truly trusted in that hope? And then are we going out and telling others about it? Or about him, not it? I'm going to lead us in prayer, and after the prayer, there's going to be a couple of songs of response. During both songs, you can come and pray at the altar. You can pray with a friend. You can bring somebody down here. I'll be available to pray with you if you'd like to pray with me. You can also take out a connection card and not only register the fact that you were here so we can uh, connect with you and tell you what's going on in the life of our church, but you can also make spiritual decisions on that. Drop that in the offering plate. There'll be an offering plate passed during the second song. You can drop an offering or a connection card or just pass the plate, whatever, when that comes through. But over the next couple of songs, let's consider how is it that the Lord is calling us to open our eyes, our ears, and our hearts to hear what he is doing in order that we might follow him more, more closely. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for this chance to be here this morning, to read your word and to see how Paul faithfully uh, shared the gospel with those around him. And how he did that there in Rome with the Jewish leaders. God, we also see the tragedy of when people have a heart that's dull to the things of God. And don't hear what what you say and don't obey and follow. Father, I pray that you'd remove obstacles and blinders from our lives today. In order that we might follow you more fully and completely. God, I pray that you'd bring salvation 
that your Holy Spirit would bring salvation to people today, that your Holy Spirit would bring conviction of need to repent of sins, that your Holy Spirit would convict people to take steps of obedience, to um, be a part of a local body of Christ that would be encouraging each other and pointing to the hope that's found in Christ and preaching the gospel to each other. And that, God, we would be empowered to go out and to share that same message of hope with those around us. God, may you be glorified in our lives. May we not just come together this morning and have a good time, but instead may we hear your word preached and proclaimed and read, and may our lives and hearts be penetrated by it in order that we might walk out of this place in obedience. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I invite you to stand with me if you're able to do so. I'll be available here at the front if you want to come pray with me. The altar's open. Let's follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit in our lives in this moment.